after about 20 or 25 minutes of some fellowship in the way of opening up um, the burden and the feeling, we'll go through the outline. And this opening word uh, will not be a kind of just rambling all over the place. I do have several points or matters to, to set before you, uh, mainly in the way of fellowship, but except for perhaps the very first point, everyone is critical <coughs> and foundational in shaping our whole view on the matter we will try to consider. We, we do thank the Lord for giving us a precious time a year ago. The Lord surely was with us, and we thank Him for that. But I spent the intervening year with the assumption that when there was this conference again, not I, but another brother would be here. You know, we, we share and we take turns. And it'd really be good if Benson could be here or somebody else. And I just proceeded on that basis until uh, Tom Getz called me and, and opened up the matter. And I just said, well, let me consider. Let me bring this matter to the Lord and I could not deny that I had some real feelings. What the burden would be, I had no idea, but I could at least honestly tell the brother, uh, I do have some leading from the Lord to help again. And then as I was in my, <laughs> in my own reading through the New Testament, read First and Second Thessalonians again. And I had a fresh impression that here we have Paul with his co-workers taking care of his spiritual children. Here we see an exhorting father. Here we have a nursing mother. Here we have someone who really knew how to foster the growth of his spiritual children. And it seems that the way into caring for children and young people is to learn of God and his representative as the real parent and to seek to touch that aspect of Christ and those portions of the word that may give us the proper view. And so the burden for fostering came up again. We touched on this four and a half years ago in September of 1996 in an initial way and in an overall way. But this time we will be intensely focused on an intrinsic matter which is the basic structure of our being 
as believers. And that we have to be clear what is the object of our shepherding and nourishing and cherishing endeavors. It is to foster the development of this structure, this organic structure in the believers. So after tonight's outline on the meaning of fostering, then we will consider the goal of fostering in the development of faith, in the development of love, and in the development of hope with the view that our hearts and the hearts of our young would be established blameless in holiness before the Lord. Now, concerning some of the, the basic matters that are foundational. And some of these points in their presentation may seem like doctrinal points, but I assure you, as far as I'm concerned, not one of them is a doctrine. In the last year, I myself have continued my own learning about being a dad, about being a parent. You may wonder, with young adult children? Oh, especially with young adult daughter and son. Do you think Jacob's learning ever stopped? Did his experience in his inner being with his son and daughter never stop? And God used the relationship with Joseph in particular at the end to gain him and to mature him. So we are considering something that doesn't end. Because the goal, according to Colossians 1, is to present everyone full grown in Christ. So here are the points that are foundational. In this matter of caring for our children and in caring for the saints' children and in caring for the young people in the churches, we have to all eventually learn God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And all kinds of things under God's sovereignty will happen. Some that we never dreamed would happen. They'll happen. And certain things that we were certain would happen will not happen. And we have to take the lead to bow our head and recognize one sits on the throne of sovereignty, the Lord over every human being on the earth, and that is the very triune God. And we have to learn deeply where our outward responsibility begins and where it ends. I utter these words at a cost 
we have to be absolutely clear that we and our sons and daughters and the young people are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. And as those that are consecrated to Him, we have abandoned ourselves and everyone dear to us to Him. And He may take them on as it pleases Him, according to His foreknowledge, even according to His foreordination and predestination. We have no right to try to determine the spiritual destiny of anyone. We can't even determine our own destiny. We don't have the power tonight to settle it permanently that we will in fact be faithful to the end and be overcome. For this we must look to the Lord's mercy. Then we must let the Lord be the Lord as the children and the young ones are growing and they become independent adults. They are the Lord's. I learned through an email interaction with someone that the life study of Job is not a theory that God wants to produce God-men for his corporate expression. And God eventually will have to intervene in the lives of his people and tear them down and rebuild them with himself. Oh, it's one thing to read this in the life study of Job. It's one thing to touch this in our own experience. But what will you do when it touches your daughter, it touches your son? When God, in being faithful to our consecration, is now going on and on to turn a good man into a God-man for God's economy. Will you let him? Will you just let him be the potter and all of us would be the clay and we just are his? This is the way of rest. Otherwise, your soul will not have rest. Then another basic point, and I've commented on this before, but... It, we must repeat it. This, in principle, is a meeting of the churches in the Lord's recovery. It's a conference of the saints in the churches. And when we minister in a gathering like this, we have no right to bring in secular things, however good they may be. We can only minister based upon God's word. However, practically, in determining the development of your children and young people, you need advice from various quarters. If you're concerned about their health, you get medical advice. If you're concerned about their diet, you get that kind of advice. Experts advise you on their education. 
on so many things. And we by no means oppose any proper help that's according to God's principles. But we cannot minister them if they're not in the Word. I can't set before you some idea about raising children or some philosophy about discipline. This is to bring in the wooden things. However, if we are fellowshipping on a personal level, then someone may suggest you might consider this, you might consider that, you might get help from this. But we are limited, strictly limited, to the Word. So I, I can't bring in something from a child nutrition and read that, or something from child psychology and tell you that. We won't distribute material from focus on the family. We cannot bring in the secular things. So what this means is, and we told you this last year, we may not be able to give you what you're looking for. And that is the way to do this or that. I don't know the way. And the Bible doesn't say that much. We have the principles and we honor them. When Paul talks about family life in Ephesians, it's in the context of the one new man about being filled in spirit. When he speaks of it in Colossians, it's in the context of living in union with Christ, with the word of Christ dwelling in you. Then he gives us certain principles. But if we accept the fact that at least this brother in faithfulness cannot give you how-tos, we can perhaps open to much deeper help profoundly deep and practical help because it addresses the fundamental matter and that is our person, our being. Are you not learning that the person is always the way? The way we take care of children, the way we take care of young people, intrinsically speaking, will be according to what we are. The person is the way. So it is the person that needs the Lord's shepherding and healing and perfecting. Really, in God's economy, we just have a person, and this person is the way. Then another matter I would like to present in this opening word is that we need a certain aspect of the all-inclusive spirit for this particular kind of service. And that aspect is the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus. Brother, you just consider God became a man and that man was a little baby 
And that baby passed through childhood and adolescence. He was the oldest of at least seven in his family. Probably he was orphaned. I say this based upon the lack of mention of Joseph. That means he had a big responsibility. In the spirit of Jesus is his human living. We, we know this as a teaching, but it's precious. He passed through all the stages of human life, and in the spirit is his human living with his uplifted humanity. All of my failures in relation to my own family have been failures in humanity. You lose your temper and provoke your children to anger and then punish them for not respecting your authority. That is a defect in our person and in our humanity. So we do not need power we do not need extraordinary wisdom. We need the humanity of Jesus. The Lord in his humanity knows how to be with every person, every kind of person. And he knows how to take care of every human situation. All of that is in the spirit of Jesus is human living with all that he passed through. I don't know if you have this kind of feeling, but sometimes we have to admit it. We may have several children, and we love them all, but there may be one that basically we don't understand. He's our own son and daughter, but this one is a mystery even to us. Well, that's good to admit it. But there is one in you who knows every human being, who knows how to respond to every human situation and care for everyone at every stage. He's never wrong. He was never wrong in his reaction, never improper in any relationship. He always had exactly the right word, and when it was time to be silent, he could be silent. When it comes down to it, dear saints, I only have him. This last year, altogether inwardly, has been a hard year, but a precious year. And it's a year of realizing I just need to be him. When I'm one with him, I just know how to be. When I'm one with him, I know what to say. So I received an email, and the email said, I'm so sorry to disappoint you. And I wrote back in truthfulness, and I said, I am not disappointed at all. But I suffer with you, and I bear you 
day and night. But disappointed? No. And then this one in discouragement would sign the email, remember Lot's wife. And I wrote back, you will not become a pillar of salt. Rather, you will become a pillar in the temple of our God. Amen. We'll see more tomorrow. This is faith. This is love. This is hope. This is fostering in an intrinsic way as we battle for the being of our daughters and sons and the young people. There is a person in me and a person in you who knows how to take care of every person. And we do not imitate him. We will see a little later. Some brothers became him. So Paul could say, even as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. How about this? We would remind you of what kind of person we were. Then he describes some of the things. This is all I have to share. How to discipline, I don't want to say. What you should allow them to do in this or that activity, I don't care to comment. Should you homeschool? Should you private school? Should you public school? I have no idea. And the Bible I read is not a handbook of all of these things. I can't give you a list of do's and don'ts. I can just give you one don't and one do. But that hardly qualifies as a list. The one don't is, don't do anything in yourself. The one do is, do everything in oneness with the Lord and to let him live. So maybe this is <coughs> sufficient uh, for our, our opening. That as I stand here, by the Lord's grace, I stand here submitting to the Lord's sovereignty over me, over my wife, over my marriage, over my family, over my daughter and her husband, over my son and his wife, and over my other son, over my parents, over the church, over the Lord's recovery. Sometimes I simply do not know how to pray. Have you ever not known how to pray? So sometimes I pray, Lord, whatever is in your heart, just work that out for this one. So let's come now to the outline, the meaning <coughs> of fostering. And the first two points 
come from the dictionary, right? That we would have a common understanding of the meaning of fostering. To foster is to bring up, to nurture, to nourish and cherish, to cultivate and promote growth and development. Uh, Paul tapped into this. This is what he was doing. He knew how to serve in a way that would nurture, that would nourish and cherish, that would cultivate, and that would promote growth and development. But when we mention this, we have to be very clear about a principle in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul plants, Apollos waters, but God causes to grow. We cannot cause anyone to grow. We cannot. Or we would have caused ourselves to grow to maturity already, right? We surely would have worked on ourselves first, causing enough growth to ensure us uh, a place in the kingdom. We cannot cause someone to grow. That is God's direct activity. But we can foster the growth. We can do certain things that will promote their growth but we cannot cause the growth. But sometimes in our zeal that our children would be for the Lord, we try to cause certain things. And our attempts to cause certain things run contrary to the real fostering. And we get the opposite result. And when you're getting the opposite result, you have to eventually face it. This isn't working. When I was living day by day with my wife according to right and wrong and according to, according to certain standards, one of which is you will get up early and prepare breakfast for the king <laughs> because kings don't do breakfast for themselves. The serving ones served the, served the king at breakfast. And so this was my concept and I could support it with scripture, I thought. But it didn't work. Not only it didn't work, it had the opposite result. But some of us are slow to learn, so this took a few hundred failures, and then it dawns on me, this isn't working. And the Lord doesn't agree with it. Then there was a turn. I remember the day. There was a turn. And the light came. All right. From this point on, I will learn how to have a married life according to the tree of life, not according to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. No more right and wrong, good and evil. Just the way of life. When the Lord got through and this stubborn person, the Lord could flow 
into the situation. We do not know how much we live day by day not according to the tree of life. Not according to the sense of life. Not according to the flow of life. But according to so many concepts. Now at this point, because I forgot to mention it, I need to say something about the title. Fostering the children and the young people according to God's economy. And I hope that at least for a few of you, this particular word might be a rescue. Because we have to realize where we're going. And we have to understand how we get there from the time a child is born, according to God, in general principles. God's economy is to work himself into us to make us his corporate expression. So every saved one eventually will be wrought upon by God to become part of God's expression. When our daughter was born, my wife and I were singing in Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital when she was there. We were singing, I remember now instantly, 538. It is God's intent and pleasure that Christ be wrought into Becky. She was two or three days old. That is God's economy. That is the goal. But if we are clear of this, we will realize you cannot raise children according to the New Testament economy in the early years. They must be raised under the law. Under the law. We ourselves need to live under grace. But the children must be shaped under the moral law of God, according to the commandments of God. Furthermore, in order to be a proper human being, we cannot get out of culture. It is impossible. They have to know how to eat their food. They have to know how to behave. You can't tell them to turn to their spirit. There's nothing there for them to turn to. So they have to be a proper person under the culture in which we're living in the good sense. They should learn to say thank you. They should learn to work a little bit. They should learn the value of money, all kinds of things. But we have a goal. And the first step is to produce good kids. Then they'll become God kids. But you cannot take an infant and turn that infant into a God person. The principle in 1 Corinthians 15 is first the natural, then the spiritual. So the law of God taught them by the parents, reinforced in the children's meeting, will teach them concerning God's righteousness and holiness. It will preserve them 
and it will conduct them to Christ. That is the function of the law. I used this illustration before. I remember taking my daughter to school at Clara Barton. She was in sixth grade. And we were bearing down on her with one particularly relevant commandment. Honor your father and your mother. And I would not tolerate any child of mine not honoring their mother. Doesn't mean I was a tyrant. I was not a tyrant. This is the law. And she had had another failure. I let her off by school. She was desperate. She said, I try to honor you. I want to honor you. But the more I try, the more I fail. And then with tears, she got out of the car and went to class. And I was happy. Why was I happy? I realized the law is working. The conviction is coming. There's a realization of need for a Savior. And then she was brought to the Lord, not by me, not by her mother, but by two persevering, faithful, serving ones in the sixth grade children's meeting in this meeting hall. And when I saw her after class, I was with the sixth grade boys. I could tell by the light in her being. She had been born of God. If the Spirit moves in a child at an earlier age, who are we to interfere with the moving of the Spirit? But if we violate this principle casually, practicing child evangelism fellowship, instead of God's ordained way, we may get them saved at four, but then when they're 14, it means nothing. Nothing means anything. But if we can trust the Lord, and if we can realize this child needs to be preserved and protected and guided by the law of God, we're clear where we're going. The time will come when faith will come. That one will be saved. Then the transition begins. And it's gradual, the transition into God's economy. And here's what happens. And if it hasn't happened to you, I'm not threatening, but it will happen. The human being is built up as high and as full as the human being can be built up in the natural life. The seed of God comes in and the divine life is there we foster the growth of that life. We continue to care for the development of the human life, but we realize at a certain point, God will care only for Christ wrought into that one. He doesn't care about having Nobel Prize winning children. He doesn't care about your son or daughter getting a perfect 1600 on the SAT. He doesn't care about going to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, UC Berkeley, or any other place. He cares for his economy. That's why we're here. That's why we have children. That's why we exist. And we have to be clear 
of all the steps a little child is born we help them to be a human being to realize you're not an animal you have a conscience you have to know God created you you have to obey older people people in authority you have to have proper relationships with others you have to know the commandment of God what God commands what God doesn't allow you to do then their conscience will be properly formed the law will bring them to Christ and they will be saved they don't know what's going on but we know we know and according to the Bible where is there the mandate to have children's meetings in the Bible. Now don't misunderstand where I'm going. Is there a children's meeting in the Bible? Is there a young people's work in the Bible? Does that mean that it's against the Bible to have children's meeting? No. To have young people's work? No. But the Bible I read doesn't shift the responsibility from parents to spiritual people in the church. The responsibility for the total well-being of our sons and daughters is first with the parents, especially with the father, and of course with the mother. But because we are living a corporate life and our sons and daughters are the, the church children, we're living a life of mutual care, then we'd like in the church life to serve and to care for one another's sons and daughters. But we err if we think the church should do spiritually what we feel we can't do. What that means is the practical life that our sons and daughters know is the same as unbelievers. The same as unbelievers. Because in our home, we're just natural. But we take them not to Sunday school, but to children's meeting. But it's a very different thing if we realize, Lord, I bear the responsibility for this child you have given me. I fear and tremble. But I turn to you with my whole being. I open my whole being to you. I want to be faithful to this responsibility. But also I recognize I need the church. And the church needs me. I'm not only concerned about my own children, but the children of the saints. Then in our church life, we have a beautiful mutual shepherding. But more than once, I've shared something with a junior high boy. And he said, this is exactly what my mother taught me. So now we can go back to the outline. The second point, to foster the children and the young people is to promote and sustain their growth and development. Okay, now, Romans 3. In 1 Thessalonians 2, we have a description of the fostering of the young Christian life. These saints had been saved surely less than a year, maybe much less than that. And Paul was forced to leave them. You imagine, you give birth to a child. The child is less than one. 
and you have to leave your own child. Paul, Paul said that we were bereaved of you. We could hardly bear this. We just long after you. We want to impart our soul into you. This is fostering. It's not a work. It's not a duty. It's your being. And you are bereaved. You are worried about the welfare of that one. We'll see. Paul said we couldn't bear it anymore. The uncertainty that Satan would have nullified everything we did, we sent Timothy to find out how is their faith? How are they regarding their faith? And Timothy came back. They're doing well. And Paul said, we live because you stand firm. So, you see, the apostles are persons like this. All of them. They're not religious professionals. They're not doing some kind of work of enterprise. They're begetting fathers and nursing mothers. When we serve children and young people with this kind of being, they know the difference. They'll never forget it. And they'll never forget you their whole life because they know this was not a duty. This was not an obligation. This is someone for whom I really mattered and they'll never forget me. Well, Jesus is this kind of person. And when he lives his divine and human life in the apostles, he produces a household like this, a family like this. The apostles went to Thessalonica, no believers there. They were a race of God-men. They preached the gospel. They begot the church in Thessalonica. Now they have all these children, and we see in chapter 2 the details of how Paul fostered their growth. Marvelous. I feel the best thing we can do is just pray, read 1 Thessalonians and the key verses. Pray, read a verse like chapter 2, verse 8. Yearning in this way over you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own soul because you became beloved to us. This is what we all were to Brother Lee, all the churches. It's not a work of enterprise. It's not a trade-off. We've got to do something with the children on the Lord's Day. Let's everybody take a turn. No matter how onerous it is, we have to do it. Well, I realize the practical necessity. But what about this kind of being who is yearning over you? Yearning. 
well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but our being. If, if we have a child who goes through six years or so of children's meeting, and for 300 plus weeks, they listen to a word from the Bible imparted to them from this kind of person. What kind of impression will they have of the church? What will be their church? What will be formed into them? The church is a place where people impart their being into me and yearn over me and travail for my growth and development. That's the church. Even if when they're 24, they would leave it deep in their being, this is the church. And they will come back because their being eventually will conquer them. So, what book can I recommend that you read? What method can I give you? It's all a matter of having another person take over our whole being and manifest his fostering care in this way. Otherwise, there's no hope. It's not finding sisters that are naturally this or that or people that love kids and always wanted to be teachers. Paul started out trying to kill us and he ended up fostering us. So we have to believe that this is possible. Sometimes, you know, whether this is age or not, I just don't remember when I gave what illustration when. So if I repeat one you've heard, will you have mercy on me? But I was in Irving, Texas, and there was one of the famous ice storms coming during the school day. So I prayed for the safety of my three kids, and there wasn't any joy. And I felt the Lord wanted me to pray. He said, you're only praying for your own? So I began to pray for all the kids in the church. And the Lord seemed to say, what about all the children? And Irving. What about just all the children? How many thousands? What about every one of them? Doesn't it matter that they're all safe, that they're all protected? And I was enlightened to see how selfish, how narrow. I pray for mine, you pray for yours. And God help the rest who have no one to pray for. Well, it's not a matter of trying to be magnanimous. It's not trying to, a matter of trying to change your heart. We need our being. We need a being transplant. We need another person with whom children were very comfortable. They would sit on his lap. He would lay hands on them. He would bless them fervently. They were very comfortable with we either have this person or honestly, I, I have nothing to say. 
And what encourages me is that a sinner like Saul of Tarsus became this kind of person in Christ. And we have to admit we're even second-rate sinners compared to him. I'm not minimizing our failure. But God in Christ gained his being that this is what he was. Was he full-time? Was he a full-timer? Was he a job-dropping full-timer in Thessalonica? You read the account. We don't want to be a burden to anyone. We, our hands ministered to our own needs. We labored day and night. He said the same thing in Ephesus, if I remember right. Is he a full-timer? You know, we don't work. We're the apostles. And the principle is we come here and you feed us and you give us a place to live. Muzzle not the ox. But he didn't invoke that. He said, that's not the pattern. We're not here wanting anybody's money. We're not trying to eat your food. We work with our own hands. And then all the rest of the time, we are caring for you. This is a father. Even we understand a little of this in our human life. This is just what fathers do. We just work, at least to tell you the truth, maybe I'm from another age, but this is the only father, fathering I know. You just work to bear your responsibility, then you pour your being into your family, ready to pay any price for their going. So here we have a person who could foster others' growth because of his own being. A says, from this chapter we may learn to serve with the children and the young people so that they may be fostered to grow to maturity. B, Paul's intention was to nourish the believers, to cherish them, and to foster them. His main concern was not to teach but to do a fostering work to help the young believers to grow. I had a teacher in sixth grade, an older unmarried woman named Miss Leonard. She had an unusual first name, Eula Leonard, E-U-L-A Leonard. And in sixth grade, I was captain of the safety patrol. A very prestigious position. There were lieutenants, but I was the captain, and I had the badge to prove it, and I conducted the, the weekly meetings of the safety patrol. Some young ones have no idea of what a, how prestigious that was with the white stripe going across your chest and another run. You got to leave school early. You got to come to class late because you're on the safety patrol, and we are concerned with the safety of others. Well, one day, Miss Leonard took me aside, more like a mother than like a teacher. She said, I was having my dinner in the restaurant there on Plymouth Road, and I saw the way you crossed the street, the risk you took. You didn't wait. 
you're on your bike, and I ran my bike across the street. And even though I've never been a fast runner, I just was reckless. And she saw it happen. And then she spoke to me about it, and she was very concerned that I, the captain of the safety patrol, would be so reckless regarding my own safety. When was that? 1950. 51 years ago. I appreciate that. She cared whether I lived or died. She cared whether I would learn. Do you teach the, is that what they teach you in methods classes? I don't think so. Do they teach you how to talk to captains of the safety patrol when they're reckless with their bike? But she cared. I believe she was a sister in the Lord because in those days they could get away with praying in class. And she would pray. Maybe I'll see her in the New Jerusalem. Maybe I'll say, Sister Eula, thank you for contributing to to my well-being. You did not speak to me as a judge. Even you did not speak to me as a teacher. You spoke to me as a mother. You didn't want me to get hurt. I, I, I would just say again and again, apparently we're teaching. And in fact, we're teaching. We teach them the Bible. We teach the Bible stories. We have a unit on creation. We teach about God's creation. We have a unit on the Ten Commandments. We teach the Ten Commandments. We have a unit, perhaps, on God's calling. We tell them all the stories about the young people called by God. We teach them about the life of Jesus. Then we teach them the gospel. But is that really what we're doing you think this is really about skill in teaching? You think those who are qualified to serve are those who have doctorates in education? It's good that we can speak in clear sentences so children can get it. It's clear that we're accurate in what we present. But what we are ministering is our Christ-constituted being, weak by week. We have to be clear. And when the word is presented with that kind of being, surely the spirit will honor that. Uh, point two under B, Paul regarded the believers as members of a large family. Even this feeling needs, I would say, needs to be enhanced. Now, I was an only child, so now I divulge that to you, and maybe now you understand why I am the way I am, but I've got my theories about only children. Anyway, I was an only child. I didn't like it, but what could I do about it? And one day I gave a testimony in Eldon Hall 
I had only been in the Lord's recovery a matter of months. And I'm, I was a Presbyterian. They don't say things like amen, and they don't call anybody brother or sister. And I, I gave this testimony, I said that. This is really unusual to me. I'm an only child, no brothers, no sisters. Now you're calling me brother. I, I have no human point of reference for this. But I am beginning to really sense that I am your brother. And after that meeting, the sister ministered to me. I think she's not with us anymore. But she still ministered to me. After the meeting, she said, Hi, brother. Am I your brother? Are you my sister? Are we a family? Is the church family the real family? Are we the household of God? Are we members of a big family? Then we shouldn't be that formal, that official in our service. I mean, are you that formal, that official at home with your children? I don't think so. Unless you graduated from West Point and and you just don't know how to be any other way, you know. I'm not saying that we're going to be laid back and loose. But what an atmosphere. Brother Benson Phillips shared something when we were in Russia together this last time because of a particular need that he shared this point. There was a critical need. And he said, when my children were growing up, I wanted them to feel that the church life was the paradise of God. And he would not allow any negative or critical thing to reach the ears of his son and daughter. He said, I want them to grow up with the feeling this is the most wonderful place. Because it really is, you know. But you need to overcome the appearance later, as our brother Lee did, and say it's the paradise of God. Our children in their youth, in the midst of a world that is doing everything to ruin them and corrupt them the earlier, the better, they need to be able to spend some time in a place that they sense God is here, this is Bethel, this is the paradise of God. Hear people pour out their being for me. Then maybe one day you might send an email to someone now, a 20-something, that you had in children's meeting, and you just say, remember what kind of person we were with you. Just remember. Not just remember the Lord, but remember how we were with you. We're not boasting. Remember how we loved you, how we cherished you, how we would pour everything out for your sake. That's the church. This is members of a large family. This is Paul's view. 
I would submit we even need a refreshing of this view of the church. We are a big family. And I am your brother. And you are my sister. And you are my brother. And what happens to you matters to me. What happens to your children matters to me. Not only what happens to my own matters to me, I ask about them because I care about them. And I care about you in relation to them. That's why I ask you about them. I ask you about your son's health because it matters to me concerning your son's health. And don't fear to speak the honest situation because I learned from hard and often bitter experience. Don't judge anybody's parenting. Don't judge anybody's situation. Wouldn't we all thrive personally in such a cherishing, nourishing, and fostering atmosphere which comes out of a Christ-constituted person. Don't let the enemy come and cause you to despair concerning yourself. Saul of Tarsus began by killing us. He ended up being martyred, being poured out upon the sacrifice and service of our faith. He said, the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. I will spend and be spent for you. This is how you serve in God's house. The reward is with the Lord. The appreciation is with the Lord. That's all we know is to pour out our being for the dear saints and for their children. That's all we know. We don't have answers to their problems. We don't have answers to our own problems. But we do have the triune God in our being and we do care. And that does something. Three, Paul conducted himself as both a mother and a father to the believers. I can't say that I understand this yet, but neither can I say that I don't understand it. And I don't know how to explain it doctrinally, but sometimes I feel like a mother, not just a dad. It's what it says, a nursing mother. It's what he said. He's not confused about metaphors. He doesn't have gender problems. He said that we're an exhorting father and we were a nursing mother. Sometimes the saints, even us, we need to be nursed. Do you remember ever hearing Brother Lee's Fellowship on Romans 16 when Paul is greeting so many saints and he mentions a brother, and he says to greet your mother and mine. Your mother and mine. So I like to ask, where's my mother? You think I don't need a mother? The Apostle Paul needed a mother. So he said, I greet this sister who is your mother, and she's my mother. What a church life in which we all got a mother. We all got a father. One day I was walking through the cafeteria downstairs in the training area on a Monday morning, 
And the fourth term trainee said something. It stopped me in my tracks. She got my attention and she said, I need a dad. I need a dad. And she had told me the story earlier. She came with tears of joy on another Monday morning and told me about her childhood in Cambodia when her father left home to go on a certain, to take care of a certain matter, and he never came back. And she told me how her being was just broken in half. But she had made a discovery through the cherishing word she had been receiving. And she came to tell me, not that sad story, she came to tell me, I have a father. God is my father. That's on the intrinsic side. But on on this other Monday morning, and I'm not boasting, I I, I believe there is no element of boasting. She said, I need a dad. And I can't say, well, you told me, God is your father. So for 15 minutes or so, I was her dad. And she was my daughter. And I spoke at her wedding. And her husband was a son. But just before she was about to get married, she and the brother, her fiancé, came over on a Lord's Day evening for some fellowship, and she was distraught. And she said some middle-aged sister had spoken to her some cynical bitter things regarding marriage and told her this is the way it's going to be. She was defenseless. So she asked me, is this the way? Is this the way it will be? And I assured her it doesn't have to be that way, but then I told her, any sister who tells you something like this, you tell her, Ron Kangas has a problem with that. Ron Kangas does not agree with that. I thought I should fight for my daughter, for her heart, for the beginning of her marriage. Do I just fight for one Becky Kangas, one daughter, that's all? Are we not in a great family? Does it not matter if a young sister is suffering this kind of acid put into her, it has to matter. And it has to matter at inconvenient times. Because we're in a family. We're not doing a work. We're not doing a service in a formal way. We're not professionals. This is just our life. The saints often, they realize, oh, you're so busy. And I mainly have one word to comfort them. This is just what we do. This is our our living. This is just our living. So this is just part of our life to be together and for you to seek fellowship. This is life. This is not a career. This is not an official appointment. Is anyone elected to be a mother? Are you assigned to be a father? My hope is there is a wonderful person that indwells us 
who can rearrange our being and constitute us with his humanity, that we just care and are concerned and will pour out our being without any feeling we're sacrificing. This is just what we do. This is what dads do. Pastors, they don't do it. Formal religious workers, they don't do it. Hirelings, they don't do it. Ambitious saints working their way up in an imaginary hierarchy in the church, they don't do it. But parents do it. And Paul was this. God made him this. And this is how he went into a city and opened it up and cared for those children. And he said, when the Lord comes, you're our crown. We'd like to just present you to the Lord. Lord, this is the issue of our whole living we have brought forth through your begetting spirit, members of your family, and we cared for them to maturity. Father, here they are. This is our only hope. Not that you would have a nice villa outside of Thessalonica where I can go in my retirement. Not that you would have anything for me, but that I could present you to the Lord in your maturity. That's what I live for. We'll finish in about five minutes. We just had the verses to give us some impression. We were gentle in your midst. I got a, a phone call early this morning from somebody who's struggling. And one reason he's struggling, the saints are scared to death of him because of his temper. Just because of his temper. He said, why won't the saints, if they have a, a, a situation, why won't they just tell me directly? Why do they go to the elders? And then they told them, they're, they're afraid of you. They don't know how you're going to react. But Paul said, we were gentle. Not because he was a wimp. He's just one of these gentle fellows. In Acts 9, he's not gentle. But we were gentle in your midst as a nursing mother would cherish her own children. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to be in a home meeting like this? where the Apostle Paul is a nursing mother, gentle. You know, sometimes the children do something outrageous. According to our natural disposition, we think a word of power and authority is what is needed. But I learned from Brother Lee about a certain situation. He advised us about a certain situation. He said, you have to realize with this one, a gentle word breaks the bone. But how can you be gentle when your being's on fire? When your gentleness is Christ. It's not trying to act gentle when you're furious. He doesn't say we acted gentle. He said we were gentle in your midst. This means you're surrounded by all of these cases. All of these young ones as a nursing mother. And, and their conscience would witness, that's right. This is how you were. And something is put into them 
when we grow up, this is what we're going to be. We're going to be just like Dad. I want to be just like Dad. This is the way he was among us. This is what a God-man is. This is what a servant of the Lord is. This is the pattern. And you believe me when they have to make tough choices about the values that they will follow. Their being eventually will conquer them. No one was like my dad. No one was like this sister, this brother. That is a God man. And if ever I come back to the church, some of them talk like this. If ever I come back, if ever I have a family, it's going to be like this. My home is going to be open, and it's going to be like this, and the saints are going to come and go. Why? Because this is what I know. They didn't take me to Sunday school. I grew up in God's house. Yearning in this way over you. Can, can we just decide to yearn? Can we have a class in it? Yearning 101, yearning 102? Ridiculous. Can we try to yearn? But this is an expression of his being. In this way over you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls. Because you became beloved to us. Are the children you serve beloved to you? Are the young people beloved to you? You know, the church kids in Anaheim, the full-timers come, the full-timers go, the full-timers are assigned to YPC. Do you have any idea what their view may be? Latest, come and meet the new serving ones, YPC. Well, they're watching. Does it matter to you? Have we become beloved to you? When the training's on a break, do we matter to you? Do you still pray for us? Will you send me an email when you're in Warsaw distributing Bibles? Will you call me? Or is it just an official duty? Training's out. Work's over. Just an assignment. Just part of the training. If that goes on, then the heart of many kids will close. I don't want to meet more people like this. I would like to meet someone assigned to YPC because they're burdened for YPC. And I'm beloved to them. If that's your heart, if that's your spirit, you'll see... Wonderful things happen. Not because you're so bright, not because you know so many verses, but just because that's your being. See, just as you know how we were to each one of you as a father to his own children, exhorting you and consoling and testifying. Notice he says, to each one of you. How about this? How much time was involved in each one? How many hours of personal shepherding to each one of you? That's part of his testimony. Not to every one of you in general. I shepherd you in a general way. and Overall, I had a kind of fatherly feeling for you. But to each one of you, I 
exhorted. I consoled. And I testified. Do you testify to your sons and daughters of your experience with the Lord? Can they hear from your own mouth the things you have learned that you have gone through? Can you in an informal way, just over pizza, you just, in a conversational way, you just testify to a young person how the Lord turned your heart from the world and why you have given yourself to Him. You're not preaching. You're not teaching. You're just testifying. They'll never forget it. Oh, I remember that night, that Saturday night, you took me out. If the Lord of delay is coming when they're 20, when they're 30, when they're 50, they'll remember. That was the way Paul took to each one of you. What kind of energy, what kind of time was given to this? But he was the dad. He was the mom. That's what we do. I've got to stop. Children should not be given knowledge prematurely. Their knowledge should not exceed their growth in life. The knowledge they acquire should always go along with their growth in life. If we're governed by life rather than knowledge, we'll obey this principle. You don't need to teach 10-year-olds the high peak of the divine revelation, okay? Don't worry. They'll get a chance to pick it up. You can teach them some simple things to match their actual capacity. Don't spoil them with a lot of doctrine and theology that they can't relate to. Time will come for that. The church may be compared to a farm, and in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul was watering, nourishing, and cherishing the tender young plants so that they could grow in life. So Lord's Day morning, if you're serving, or if tomorrow night you're in a junior high or high school meeting, maybe the Lord will give you this view. Tender young plants. Don't even water them that much. Just a little bit. Tender. We need the tenderness, something to foster something that's so tender, it's so delicate. And finally, D. Paul fostered the young believers mainly by presenting them a pattern of life, a pattern of a proper living. This pattern was actually Paul himself. So we come full circle. How can I present something other than what Paul presents? He was saying we were the pattern. And you may say, well, Paul was the pattern, but I'm not the pattern. No, we're all the pattern. You're the pattern just by living in the same house with them. You're a pattern just by being their father or mother. You're a pattern just by spending so much time with them in children's meetings or the young people's meetings. We can't avoid it. Our only choice is whether we'll open in a way we've never opened before to a wonderful divine human person who has such attributes and such virtues and such feelings for his young brothers and sisters. We just open to him and we just live him. We're just one with him. Even 
we just are here. So you can't not be a pattern. The only choice is what kind of pattern it will be. I'm ending now, but I was thinking earlier, boy, it's hard to be a person. Isn't it hard to be a person? Just to be a proper person. And then you get married and now you're a spouse. Oh, isn't it hard to be a husband? I would say impossible. Especially with reality-oriented wives who want reality all the time. I, I despair. And then you become a parent. And they expect God to be like you. Well, forget about so many high complicated things just to be a person, to be a spouse, and to be a parent. This is where we spend our time. We don't spend most of our time pray reading, reading the ministry, or in meetings. We spend our time being persons, being a spouse, and being a parent. And this is where we need the Lord so desperately. But if we need him, I believe he will be everything to us. And I believe we will make much progress in our fostering. So could we now, I don't know how this will work, but I think we should pray for two or three minutes. And I hope that a number, we have maybe just 10 or 15 minutes after that, would respond with some sharing. But if the Spirit is not moving that way, we, we won't force it. But I think we should pray. So just pray with the one near you for a couple minutes.